0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Great, so that's it. Have a great day. Uh, the uh, I was uh, thinking about... Uh, one of the things with regard to the Constitution and Constitution Day, and one of the things that the video sort of strikes me is there's always this tendency of people from older generations to think people from the younger generation have forgotten these things, but that show was your grandparents' show for most of you. It's not a generational issue. There's something larger and funny about it. Uh, But today is Constitution Day, the day, as was said, when we commemorate the signing of the Constitution of the United States, September 17, 1787, 39 men in Philadelphia have met for the final time to sign that document, to sign into law the law of the land. The preamble that Barney Fife is stumbling over is the thing that gives us an idea of the purpose. It's in the 18th century mind to always tell us what needs to be done and how it will be done. The Declaration of Independence did the same thing. The Constitution's preamble is a really great place to start. If you don't know it, if you didn't watch Schoolhouse Rock, if you didn't watch... If you didn't watch Andy Griffith, uh, learning the preamble is important because it tells us what the purpose of the document is. The articles in the document then outline exactly what the law of the land is. And then there are amendments, which some of you are familiar with and have discussed even in classes here, 27 of them, 27 of them to be exact. And while the 27th Amendment was submitted in uh, the 1790s, it wasn't finally ratified until 1992. There are 27 amendments. You have to amend the Constitution through a very formal process if you want to change or add to the law of the land. Things like prohibition were amended and then repealed, it took constitutional amendment to do those things. There were other amendments that were attempted that failed. For instance, there was an attempt to rename the nation from the United States of America to the United States of the Earth, um, and it failed. <laughs> there was an amendment proposed to abolish the United States Navy, which would have made the 20th century a very different thing. So lots of amendments over the course of the history of our country, but 27 of them have been preserved in the document itself. Today, uh, in chapel, I want to talk a little bit about the Constitution, some observations that I have that might provoke you to think about your own citizenship, different from what was done for you on Friday's excellent chapel where you were challenged to think about your civic engagement, and also our attempts to get you to register to vote so that you can uh, participate as informed citizens taking advantage of that right of self-governance. Uh, today, what I want to do is encourage you with some thoughts regarding the Constitution, and I would like to encourage you at the outset to consider reading the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They do not take long. It's a good habit to read those at least annually. They're dis- the Constitution in particular is discussed with some frequency in our current political debate. It doesn't take long to read them. Read them once or twice a year to familiarize yourself with the law of the land. I was thinking about this and reading through the New Testament uh, this morning how Paul understood his rights as a Roman citizen and used them when he found himself having to give an argument for uh, his own issues of freedom and imprisonment. He understood the law of the land in which he lived. He understood his rights as a citizen. And as evidenced in Romans 13, he had given some thought and recorded for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit some things regarding earthly authority. The apostle Peter did the same thing. Jesus talked about the issue of paying taxes to authorities. Jesus even used economic illustrations as metaphors for the kingdom of heaven and the ten talents, calling the one who buried the talents in the ground wicked and slothful. The people of the Bible are not uninformed about the ways of the world, particularly when it comes to economy, government, and politics. And so we should follow their example, I think, and let me encourage you by saying you should read those documents. Today, though, I want us to think about what it means to be members of a free society, and the blessing and privilege that is ours to be American citizens living under this Constitution, which endures only by by the commitment of its citizens, and that commitment can only be driven and sustained by our understanding of how this nation works. Now as I think about this and I think about the challenges in front of us, this is a bit of a change for me from my plan. I intended to begin uh, and continue with the series that I had outlined for the semester, making a few comments today about the Constitution. But in discussing this with a number of you uh, in my class, in the hallways, in the cafeteria, uh, in our home, I've changed my plan to spend some more time on this to share some observations based on what I see going on around us, some things that are happening in our culture, and some things I think that face you as citizens, particularly as Christian citizens. And it is some things from the cultural context text that have spurred me to think about this a little more thoroughly. And it is that we live in a context where there is a high degree of division, and that division is now spilling over in the form of derision. Recently, when I was sharing that with someone, they said, well, what exactly do we mean by derision? Deriding someone, vilifying them, riding them down, calling them names, uh, doing all manner of evil and inappropriate things to people, saying things about people, because we're divided against one another, and the way you win, then, is to deride someone. The division that we experience in our society is profound, and you know this, because even in this room, we have differences of opinion. The democratic society is built upon the ability that we have to disagree and to debate. But we are divided on all fronts. We are divided over issues of race, over issues of justice. We're divided over economic parity and disparity. We're divided over social issues. We're divided over abortion. We're divided over the courts and the role of the courts. We're divided over the executive powers and the role of executive powers. We're divided on any number of issues. You look at our society and you will see America as one that is extremely divided. That can be very disheartening, except that we live in a society that has a framework of government that allows that division to be used to make us stronger and better, not tear us apart further. But it requires citizens to make right decisions about division, to not give over to their fears Not give over to what is worst in us, but to remember who we are as a free society and think in those terms. The division is profound and it's somewhat disturbing how much it permeates. I've been saying for years look at any poll that you will see any poll on abortion or gay marriage, and you will see Americans divided almost evenly. How discouraging is that politically? Any vote we take is going to be taken within what is called a margin of error. In fact, right now, some of you may know and some of you may not know and some of you care and some of you could care less, but we're coming up on a midterm election. Seven to 10 of the races in the midterm election, which will determine a great deal over the next four years, seven to 10 of those races are so close they're within the margin of error. That's how divided we are, not just nationally over the big issues, but even locally. We're divided over issues of policy. All you have to do today at lunch is bring up the subject of immigration and watch how divided we are. We are divided on all fronts, not just disagreeing and not just debating, but there's a tone in our culture now that has given way to derision, and we have to think about that as American citizens and as biblical Christians. There's also this issue of indifference and apathy, which is concerning to me as I look across the spectrum of our culture, a general lack of care and concern for things, where we either shut out the concerns of the world around us, or we shut down personally and just withdraw. Some of this is fueled by pragmatics. There's too much to keep up on. Your students, how do you keep up with what's going on in the nation and politics? Some of you that are interested in it are watching it all the time. Some of you are discussing it in classes because the subject matter is germane to what you're doing. But the issue is that we're so overwhelmed with things that we either shut it out or shut down. And sometimes that's pragmatic and sometimes it's attitudinal. We just become indifferent. It doesn't matter. I was struck by something last week that I shared with my class this morning. I was watching a news program last week where they were sort of looking at the midterm elections and a roving reporter was moving through the state of Maine, which has experienced some economic setbacks over the last 30 or more years going to a town where there's a textile factory that's been closed down, asking people, what do you care about politically? Do you care about immigration? Do you care about the Russian investigation? Do you care about this? Do you care about abortion? Do you care about gay marriage? What is it you care about? And the overwhelming response was jobs. We want those things solved. He moved his way through the state till he ended up in a lobster boat with two young lobster fishermen, a brother and a sister, who were working for their father. And he asked them, do they care about politics? And they said, yeah, of course we care about politics. What kinds of things do you care about? Well, the government sets the laws for when we can fish, how many pots we can put out, and how many lobsters we can take. And The reporter said, yeah, but what about the other stuff that's going on? Do you, care about, do you care about the investigation into the president? I don't even know what that. Do you know who Paul Manafort is? No. Do you know who Robert Mueller is? No. The reporter concluded that people are concerned about their localized and personal issues. But listen, while that is pragmatic, it's also problematic in a free society because you're only thinking then about the most immediate concerns that you have. A number of years ago, Ambassador Alan Keyes was interviewed when he was running for president. to a name none of you will know except the faculty members in the room. And Alan Keyes was asked what he thought the greatest challenge was facing America. And this African-American scholar turned and said, I believe that the next generation is in, is in jeopardy of relinquishing self-governance. Do you know what that means? We are giving up the power to choose for ourselves who will lead us. And the reporter said, then you don't care about jobs. He just said that the whole thing that American society is built upon, the right of the people to exercise their will, is about to be undermined, and the question is, don't you care about jobs? What happens is this indifference and apathy is fueled sometimes by pragmatic issues and sometimes by our attitudinal things, that the only thing that matters are the things that matter to me personally right now, immediately. We either shut out the world or shut down personally, but this skepticism and cynicism is insidious, and it's everywhere in our culture. There's a lack of appreciation for what it means to live in this kind of society. And there's a drift from understanding who we are historically and understanding human nature. And it's understandable that that happens because there's so much in the world that is discouraging. And there's so much in America that is discouraging these days. There's no getting away from that. But if we're not careful, the skepticism and cynicism that's creeping into our minds and hearts will lead us to... Abdicate our rights as citizens in a free society and acquiesce to something far worse. There is no doubt, no doubt, no doubt that great evils have been perpetuated in the land of the free. No doubt. There's no doubt that our treatment of certain populations in the course of our history are deplorable and without excuse. There's no doubt that there is injustice, that there is oppression, that there have been, is, and will likely always be because we live in a broken and fallen world. But because the world is broken and fallen and sinful human beings perpetuate harm on one another, because we live in a fallen and broken world does not mean that there are not noble things in it. And the great experiment of the American the American vision for self-governance outlined in the Constitution is not perfect, but it does not need to be perfect to be noble. And you need to think about that as a citizen of this country, to be its strongest critic and also its most informed advocate, because they're still coming here by the thousands every day. They're still coming to a country where we do believe in the idea of justice, though it is in perfectly exercised. We do believe in the idea of liberty and freedom, though not all of us enjoy it to the fullest degree. We do believe that here it is what you do, not to whom you were born, that matters. They're still coming to us from all over the world to seek freedom, to seek exile, to seek peace. So as bad as certain things are in the world, do not allow it to fuel your cynicism and skepticism to the point that you give up on something that is a God-given blessing that our ability to seek the welfare of the city in which we live, the city to which he has sent us, this city, is to be carried out in the context of the governmental structure that we enjoy. And anything short of it will give us a, 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 put us on a path to giving up those freedoms and the issue of self-governance. These things, division and derision, indifference and apathy, skepticism and cynicism, have serious consequences. Our society is weakened by them. It's weakened by them because the fabric that holds us together, now what happens is Americans are more concerned now about what divides them than what unites them. Could we all agree that children should be safe? Can we all agree that violence should be curbed? Should we all agree that human malice and avarice should be curbed? Okay. Can we all agree that people should be treated with respect and dignity no matter where they're from, no matter what color their skin is? Those things unite us and should unite us. So the weakening of society by those three elements in our culture are problematic, and it undermines citizenship because what we find ourselves doing is only listening to the talking heads, only listening to the ones that stroke our existing emotions. We have to be careful about these things because our society is dependent upon the exercise of good citizenship. And we concede power when we allow those things to undermine our citizenship. We give it up to the talking heads or to those who hold office. And what happens as a result, and this was alluded to on Friday, is that decisions are made by the people in a democratic republic, but decisions are made by those who show up. And if we, if we have our citizenship undermined, the decisions will be made by others. And that is a serious consequence in a democratic society. So some other concerns for us as Christians is that what ends up happening then if we're sucked into these issues of division and derision, if we get sucked into being indifferent and apathetic about the world in which we live, if our skepticism and cynicism fuels a kind of unproductive citizenship, then we find ourselves as Christians participating in the wrong things in the wrong way. We find ourselves in the wrong rallies, doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Because we find ourselves influenced by the same thing. Look, there is no, it's very hard to find a biblical argument that justifies division and derision, that justifies apathy and indifference, that justifies skepticism and cynicism. You will not find it justified in the pages of the Bible. And so what happens is we get distracted because we get sucked into those things. We get distracted from the real work of advancing the gospel and seeing that the blessing and privilege of being in this kind of governmental system, in this kind of free society, allows us to advance it. But we should never lose sight of the fact that the gospel is advancing in other parts of the world where there is serious persecution where the government has locked down people's freedoms to express themselves even on religious matters and matters of the faith. But we can't get distracted and we shouldn't allow ourselves to be co-opted, to become the pawns of one political party or the other. That's what happens when we find ourselves getting sucked along in this cultural tone of division and derision, indifference and apathy, skepticism and cynicism. We lose our way. We forget that ours is a dual citizenship, one in heaven and one on earth. We value one over the other, and we do so at our own peril, and we get used rather than being used of God to do good work, and we find ourselves being motivated by fear, fear of how the world will change around us, fear of how things will go against us, rather than seeking the welfare of the city to which God has sent us, we find ourselves reacting in fear. We find ourselves taking up sides in the divisive and derisive culture in which we live because we're afraid of what will happen to us if it goes against us. We'll keep on. That's what Christians do. We'll keep on. Those are some of my concerns for you as Christians as you think about this. So what does that have to do with the Constitution? Well, let me sort of tease a few things out and then ask you in the coming hours, days, weeks, whatever it takes for you to think for yourselves and talk with one another and talk with your faculty members as appropriate about some of these ideas. Because I do think on a day when we're commemorating the Constitution, and listen, this is a law, the federal government passed a law in 2004 that what was called Citizens' Day would become Citizenship Day, would become Constitution Day. And every every institute of, of learning from every level, primary, secondary, higher, that takes any money from the state or federal government must do something to commemorate this day. Sometimes we put the Constitution in your mailbox, sometimes we have a few slides, sometimes we send an email, sometimes there's a brief conversation in chapel, and sometimes we do this where we talk about it at length. So let me go back and share some thoughts about this with regard to some, con- some constitutional context. The Constitution is the law of the land. But this is something that we too often take for granted, and you need to think about this. It's the law of the land, but we live in a society that upholds the rule of law rather than the rule by law. If you have me for political science, we talk about this quite a bit. In other places in the world where a despot or, or a totalitarian absolutist authority figure rules, they write laws that benefit them and they use them to control the people, in our country, the law was written that the law, the people, would ratify a law that would tell the government what it would do, not the other way around. And so what we have is the rule of law, that there's something higher to us for us to appeal to than an individual who sits in a position of authority or power. We have the ability to remove presidents from office. We have the ability to interpret laws that the legislature makes. There's a balance of power because the rule of law calls us back to the law of the land and we appeal to it, not an individual. Now that's subject to all kinds of messiness because we have different ideas about it and how it works and how to interpret it, but that shift of the, from the rule by law to the rule of law should not be lost on you. It's a significant change in the nations of the world. And this law of the land was a necessity of the republic because we were in total chaos. We had Shays' Rebellion and other things, uprisings and violence, people wondering. Lots of fights over the extent to which the states had authority or the federal government had authority. The country, right after the war for independence, was being torn asunder, not to mention the fact that we had the looming, unresolved issue of our national sin, which was the institution of slavery that had not been resolved. There was a need for a law to govern us, necessary to preserve the republic. And what those men did in Philadelphia was come to some, compro- some compromise. They compromised for the sake of posterity. They were looking down the road. And they were looking down the road not just at their generation or their children or their grandchildren, but the long-term preservation of a society that no longer believed that tyrants should rule people, but that people could choose for themselves how they should be governed. And this is significant because there was a great debate about the level of control that the federal government should have versus states' rights still being argued today, but we have a law to appeal to. There was a great deal of statesmanship exercised in those days in Philadelphia, and they made pragmatic concessions to one another, some of which were beneficial and some of which simply delayed more significant resolutions for the next century. But they worked to create something that would govern us apart from an individual now there are certain ideas that come in out of the constitution and i want to share with you some of my thoughts and draw attention to some of the things that i think you need to think about given the cultural context in which we're operating and the attitudes that prevail in our society but also drawing from the constitution some ideas that i think you need to think about based on conversations that i've had here So I want to draw some attention to just a few ideas, not the only ones that come from the Constitution, but a few that I think warrant some consideration. They're quite simply these. The issue is that we live in a society that places a high degree of value on the individual, individual dignity, individual worth, the right to vote. It took us a long time to resolve that that right to vote should be extended to more than white male property owners. The law of the land is that the right to vote is extended to all of us. Individuals have worth, or they should have worth, and when we see that they don't, we should argue with all we have to make sure that they do. This is the reality. We get to speak up in this country when we see something wrong. We get to debate things when we see a policy going against us as free citizens. But the individual responsibility is tied to the issue of personal freedom. The Constitution guarantees for us rights and privileges and freedoms, but with those rights and and privileges, those freedoms, comes great responsibility. And too often in our culture, we miss this. You are responsible to conduct yourself as a responsible member of society. You are responsible to not drive recklessly simply because you're afraid of getting a ticket, but because you're endangering the lives of others. That's personal responsibility. It isn't, what will someone else do for me? I take responsibility for myself so that I am free then to take responsibility for you. Boy, that sounds very Christian. We give ourselves up. We care about the other. We carry one another's burdens. Personal responsibility frees us to care for the other. So we don't squander these rights. We take full advantage of them. We understand that personal responsibility comes with personal freedom. And I think the Constitution calls us to that. It requires it of us. Personal responsibility. Individual responsibility. Own the decisions that you make. Own your behaviors towards others. Own the way that you treat other people. Own the way that you obey the laws of the land. Own the way that you exercise your citizenship. You have great rights and freedoms. Show the responsibility that takes them seriously and does not take them for granted. Be a citizen who gives to the greater good. And that's really what makes this a better place. But the Constitution spends a considerable amount of time limiting government. And this is something that should be debated in our classrooms with some degree of frequency. The Constitution balances power between the three branches of government so that no one branch controls everything, but the discussion really should be about the issue of how much government should be limited. This document actually tells the government what it can and cannot do. It limits the government. The limited limited government in American society is not a Democratic or a Republican perspective. It's not a liberal or conservative one. The Constitution limits the power of the federal government. What we debate now as liberals and conservatives, as Republicans and Democrats, is how big that government should be and how much power it should have. But the government is told what to do by the people, not the other way around. I would challenge you to think about this. The more power that we give to government, whenever government expands and becomes more powerful, personal freedom contracts. You should think about the implication. It contracts, and so what we find ourselves doing is want to legislate good works instead of calling forth from people's character the ability to conduct good works. So let's be careful about the restriction of rights and increasing the power and reach of the government. It should protect our freedoms. We limit its power. This protects us not only from tyrants, but it preserves for us self-governance. The first phrase that Barney Fife stumbles over in the Constitution is the most important one in it, we the people. We the people. Now, there are some implications, because I think when we're looking at these things, there are some serious implications along these lines. If we're going to take these things seriously, we must consider them together. And The third piece of this is economic freedom. The Constitution of the United States talks about taxation. Look, as students, you should be thinking about this not in terms of your immediate experience. You might not be too upset about giving up more pennies from your dollar if it got you a free college education, but trust me, down the road when you have your own kids and the government wants seven cents on, seven cents, 70 cents on every dollar, you will care. You will care. There is an economic reality that you must be thinking about as students because you're to be stewards of resources. And so this issue of economic freedom and property rights is in our culture, it's being talked about, the great economic disparities, those things need to be addressed. But listen, you must understand the Constitution protects us by saying the government has limits in terms of how much it can tax us unless we say that we're willing to go there. So let's let the debate take place and decide how much economic freedom we should have. But economic freedom is guaranteed in the Constitution, and the right of private property is there. The argument is, well, private property, I mean, that's not a biblical idea. There are two commandments that protect the private ownership of property. One says you can't steal it. The other says you can't covet it. God cares about this, and you do too. It might be that your property is less expensive than someone else's property, but you have iPhones and buds and music and all kinds of other things that are part of your world, but I don't know all of it. Don't (laughs) pretend to know all of it. But this issue of economic freedom is tied to being a free society, and you must think about those things as well. And the implications are profound, because what it means is there is this character issue that has to come forth for us as members of a society like this. In our treatment of others, not just over policy and the things that we like or dislike or the things that resonate with us or not, but the treatment of others. In a land that believes all men and women are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, we must be serious about the character that we exhibit in the treatment of others, not just care about policy. And as a result of that, then you and I, of all people, should not see the government as the great fixer. There are opportunities for us to exercise our God given obligation to men and women who are around us, to care for them, to care about other people, and to care about the society to not trade our freedoms for increased governmental control because that makes your life easier or more comfortable or less complicated. Democracy is messy. Some have said it's the meanest and worst form of government. Some have said it's the meanest and worst form of government except for all the others. The reality is this, democracy is messy. So you can't stop exercising good character and good care for your fellow citizens and for the democratic society that we're a part of. But I would challenge you on the economic issue to also be careful, to give consideration. Character, care, and consideration. In today's world, we need this desperately. I've been reading some very disturbing uh, data and trends among young people in their view of socialism. And for my generation, it's a little tough to hear such. I think I just saw something that that, that under the age of 25, uh, um, that uh, there are fewer... There, more, Amer- more Americans under the age of 25 uh, believe that um, democracy is not better than socialism. I remember um, um, seeing a video of uh, Secretary of Agriculture under President Eisenhower. Secretary Benson gave a talk when Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of the Soviet Union, came to America in the 50s to observe our agricultural processes. He said They got in a debate over politics and over communism and socialism and democracy and the republic. And Khrushchev turned and said, I'm not afraid of you, for you Americans are gullible, in a sense. Uh, You will not, we will prevail, and we will not have to fight you. We will feed you little bits of socialism in manageable morsels until before you know it, you are a communist and you will fall into our hands like overripe fruit. We will not have to fight you. I beg you, young people, think, consider the implications of all that is out there when it comes to economics and economic freedoms between you before you follow a trend that will make your life today easier because the implications for all of us are much more profound in the long term it is absolutely imperative that you be considerate that you be thoughtful about these things that you be people of character and concern for the welfare and peace of the city that God has placed us in that you give careful consideration to the choices that are in front of you as citizens and then just a few thoughts as we close <clears throat> in terms of what you should be doing. We encourage you to be praying. First Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're to pray for our leaders. You should participate. Jeremiah 29 tells us that we're to seek the welfare and peace of the city in which we live. You should participate. Even if that participation is that you have consciously and decidedly and with careful consideration chosen to be outside of the political arena, then do it knowledgeably and purposefully, not because you don't care. If you're going to be apolitical, I have no problem with that, as long as you're apolitical because you care. Apathy and indifference will will wreck the whole thing. Participate as ones who are concerned for the welfare and peace of the city in which God has placed us. And then, apply understanding and wisdom. In 1 Peter 2, think about this. Peter tells them to honor the emperor, Christians who are facing persecution at the hands of the government. How do we do that? By applying wisdom and understanding, by being careful in our considerations, by thinking through the complexities. It's not easy. But We're the followers of Jesus. And he said, take up your cross. It's not easy. It's messy. It requires much of us. But we've been given a gift, a gift to be a part of this kind of society. And to whom much is given, much is required. To take for granted our responsibilities and rights as citizens of a democratic society then is to squander a God-given opportunity to seek the peace and welfare of the city where I've sent you. We must remember that. We must remember that. The individuals who signed that constitution in 1787 and the founders who set in motion what has given birth to where we find ourselves today did so at great personal peril, not for their own benefit but for the benefit of the generations to come and that is a heritage worth honoring let's pray father in heaven we pray that you would give us wisdom to think about our place in this world to consider the issues that are in front of us socially and politically and economically from a perspective of careful consideration from the application of biblical wisdom and teaching and principles We pray, Father, that you would make us mindful that you have placed us on this earth, that you have given us the obligation of dual citizenship, and that you expect us to seek the welfare and peace of the city in which you have placed us. We pray, Father, that you would impress upon us the importance of participating, of being informed. And Father, we do pray that you would give us regular reminders to uphold our leaders in prayer as they make difficult decisions about policy, as they administer justice, as they resolve disputes, as they consider our future as a nation, we pray that you would grant them wisdom beyond themselves, humble them before you, help them to understand the great responsibility and burden that is theirs, and give us what we need to honor those to whom honor is due and respect those to whom respect is due. We pray this in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.